Welcome to the Bagwell Center podcast. This podcast features lectures and symposia hosted by the Bagwell Center for the Study of Markets and Economic Opportunity at Kennesaw State University. The Bagwell Center's mission is to provide a platform for an interdisciplinary study of the importance of markets and economic institutions in regard to resource allocation, entrepreneurial activity, economic prosperity, and improved human welfare. Through extracurricular outreach activities such as guest lectures, film screenings, workshops, fellowships, and reading groups, the Bagwell Center places an emphasis on educating students about the foundations of market institutions and examining the related impact of government policy in a mixed economy. For more information about the Bagwell Center and its programs, please visit coles.kennesaw.edu slash econop. All right. Can you hear me? Is this on? Yes. All right, great. So thanks, uh, first, Tim, thanks for inviting me to speak. And thanks to everybody who showed up. I know it's uh, tough to be doing this in an hour where I assume you don't actually have a class to attend, so thanks for coming. Um, it's good to see the Folsom Sear, uh, big admirer. Uh, so let me first sketch out something to explain who GCO is, what we do as an organization, and I hope to some degree give you some, um, some things to look forward to and actually be happy about when it comes to criminal justice reform, specifically in Georgia, okay? I'm going to draw something here. If, if you can't see it, hopefully the explanation will help enough. But there's this concept <clears throat> that really is out of the Brookings Institution uh, called the success sequence. Has everybody heard of that? You have some sense of it? I know you two would, right? <laughs> All right. So these guys, they know what we're talking about, but... The success sequence basically says this, and I'm not a good artist, so excuse this, but if you get three fairly straightforward things right in life, you basically are guaranteed a ticket to the middle class, okay? Or at the very least, you're not going to experience poverty, all right? Those three things are education, employment, and family formation, all right? I promise I will relate this to criminal justice in just a few minutes. But what does this have to do with anything? On the education front, what we're talking about is a high school diploma. Okay? If you can get a high school diploma, go on to get steady work. We're not talking about high-salaried jobs. We're talking just steady work. And you can go on to form a family and have children after you're 21. And I'd advise everybody to do that if you can. the odds of you being in poverty at any point, at point in your life is about 2%. Okay? This is out of Brookings. Uh, AEI has done some work on this as well. If you get one of these things wrong, it's essentially a domino effect. right? Uh, and what ends up happening is 75% of the folks who get this out of order or out of whack will be, at, be in poverty at some point in their life. Okay? So our, our work is really focused on finding highly leveraged things that you can do in each one of these buckets to change the trajectory of somebody's life, all right? If, as is so, so often the case right now, you come from a home where your mom and dad didn't live in the same house, there's a divorce, maybe they were never married, I'm a product of divorce, I know what this is about, uh, the next best place to intervene is probably with education. The education system, if you can have a child get a good education, be ready for jobs, they can escape what often becomes a poverty cycle, okay? If the education system has also failed them, 
the next best place to intervene is in employment. Uh, if you can get them a good job, they can become what sociologists call marriageable. It's kind of an odd word, but that just means that you're making enough money, you're able to provide for a family, and somebody's interested in forming a family with you. If you can do, the, do one of these interventions, you can actually break in and stop the poverty cycle. And that's how we think about our work. We do two, two types of work, one on the public policy front. So we advocate for education reform and choice in education so that kids who are failing or, or in a failing school right now have choice immediately because they don't have time to wait. All right. On the employment side, we have a whole list of things that, that we've done, and this applies most to our criminal justice work. And I'll come back to this. On family formation, we really don't do anything on public policy related to family formation. All of our work is in the local community. Actually uh, teaching classes and getting churches engaged to help prepare young people for healthy relationships, whether those are going to lead to marriage or not. Okay, so that, that's where we're focused on in that part of our work. Employment is the area that has everything to do with our criminal justice work. So in, back in 2013, we actually put together um, a working group that was looking at criminal justice reforms that would affect reentry uh, and highly leveraged things. And what that group came back with after meeting for several months was that the best things we could do would be around employment and making sure that returning citizens coming back from prison actually have the ability to get work. So that's what we focused on. All right. Out of that came a, a series of reform ideas which, as I'm going to describe them, you're going to say, well, that's not too tough. What, you know, what's the deal? But it was low, it's kind of low-hanging fruit, things that needed to be changed. One, it was really tough for somebody coming out of prison with a, with a, um, a drug conviction to get a driver's license. In Georgia, you could be denied a driver's license for a year or more. Well, we don't have the greatest transit system in the world. And if you're going to try to get to work, how are you going to do it? Right. Um, another was making it so that folks coming out of prison could get vocational licenses. All right. Up until the last several years, if you had a felony on your record, uh, you, you really couldn't get a vocational license to be a plumber or electrician. The very types of things that these guys and ladies might know how to do and, and might be an entry to a, a good paying job. So now the state actually has to uh, consider each person's case individually and, and ask the question, does what you were convicted of have anything to do with the license that you're trying to get? And what have you done since you were released from prison to actually be reformed? And then they, if, if there's no you know, nexus between those things, uh, they, they are supposed to give you uh, your, the license that you're seeking. Things like that. All right. I want to show you a picture of somebody. This is important. This guy's name is Adolphus. Okay. Adolphus. I won't tell you, tell you where he grew up, but he grew up in an urban area. Um, he was the child of a single mom. He did not get the greatest education in the world. He was sur surrounded by, as he calls them, you know, drug dealers and gangbangers. And he said he always was a mischievous guy, right? And you can even see it in his eyes today, right? This, this is a success story, but you can talk to him and you get that sense uh, that he's got a streak. Um, 
but he always idolized those guys that he saw. He says that they had money in their pockets and they had power, and that's what he wanted. So for 58 years, he, he said basically it'd be 50 years, he started when he was about eight, started selling drugs. He did that for 50 years. And he said when he, he reached 58, he received his notice from Social Security. Um, some of us have seen ours. You guys might be too young for this. But uh, it tells you essentially what you've paid in over your life and what you're, you can expect if you retire at whatever age, right? <laughs> Adolphus said it was the most embarrassing and shameful you know, point in his life. <laughs> he said he saw it and he had zero contributions, Right? He's like, what, what in the world have I done with my life, you know? Adolphus, at that point, had an awakening. And he turned to a group called Georgia Works. I don't, has anybody heard of Georgia Works? Great, great group downtown. They, they're a homeless ministry serving hundreds of guys at a time. Uh, they're in a, an old prison facility, old jail facility that they've converted into dorms. Um, Adolphus went to that program, and he... He was willing to abide by their rules. Their rules say that you have to be clean, no drugs, you can't take any handouts, you've got to work every day and get up early, right, and go to work. So he started there when he was 58 years old. Today, he's, he would be 63 at this point. He's been drug-free, he's been contributing and working this entire time, and now he's one of the supervisors for their, their work crews down at uh, Georgia Works. And this, this is really just one example of a, a community-based approach to how you can deal with the issue of uh, prisoner reentry in a very real way. Because these, most of the people that Georgia Works is serving, they're not only homeless, but they also have criminal records. And many of them have, have spent more than a couple of times in prison. I know that Adolphus had been in twice. He said it was about 10 years overall that he spent in prison. They're demonstrating something that it seems almost impossible to believe, and that is there's hope for guys like Adolphus to get out, be productive, be, um, you know, join back into society and be, be um, self-supporting. So Adolphus is just one example. The, the, some, some thoughts to give you hope about what Georgia has done and, and the trajectory of things in the state. The criminal justice reforms that Governor Deal... Uh, introduced starting in 2011 have had some, some major impact. And I, I just want you to know this. I don't work for the governor, but I'm a fan of what he's done in this area. Um, if you look at uh, the recidivism rate, the most recent numbers that I've seen show that the recidivism rate in Georgia is down to 26%. That's about a 10% drop overall, a little more. Um, the rate at which African Americans are being incarcerated in our state has dropped dramatically. It's the lowest that it's been since 1987, which is just amazing. Uh, it's a 30% drop overall in incarceration of African American men, 19% drop in incarceration overall. Those are all great things. The problem that's going to result from shrinking the number of folks being incarcerated is that you're going to concentrate the folks who are the toughest to deal, to deal with, all right? And the single, one of the single best things that we have found that you can do based on the research that we've done and the work that we've done is to figure out ways to make it easier for those guys when they come out to get jobs. 
Uh, rapid work attachment is one of the best interventions uh, that can be used to get these guys out and stay out. Um, the Manhattan Institute, along with a couple of researchers, published results in 2015 that showed that recidivism rates drop by about 20% for folks who are attached to work quickly after they get out of prison. So all that to say, the things that we need to be focused on have to do with reducing barriers to work, encouraging the state to do things like deal with our bail, our bail system, uh, our probation system. Georgia still leads the country with the number of people under correctional supervision. Uh, that's compared to even Texas, where they have four times the population. We are only 10,000 people short of uh, supervising as many people as Texas. They're at like 510, and we're at half a million people uh, with that much fewer in population. So we've got to deal with those issues because each one of those things, probation and bail requirements that are too tough for folks who can't pay it, mean that they're going back to jail, interrupting a work cycle, uh, and keeping them from being able to, to earn a living and be self-sufficient. Um, Adolphus' story is just one of many. Georgia Works and other organizations like them are working with hundreds of people right now who fit this group that we're talking about. Uh, and th I think that's something to be hopeful for. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Bagwell Center podcast. For more content like this, please be sure to subscribe. And for more information about the Bagwell Center and its programs, please visit us online at coles.kennesaw.edu econop.